Hey everybody, it's Tim. It is the honor roll, episode three of 2022. This is, uh, we're in uh, February right now. In February, it's kind of known as what is called dump month. One of the dump months. This in January. But we actually had some good stuff in January. We had three movies make the honor roll. Three movies I really liked. So we are in February right now. And this is like when I started doing this about five or six months ago. This is kind of like an episode, the the type of episode that I was dreading because uh, just fair warning. And this might be a quick one because, as I said, I try not to waste too much time on being negative on this. But uh, I didn't like anything that much today. So it's going to be five movies I'm not crazy about. We'll try to find some positives. Um, you can... Check us out. We have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash MidwestPodNet. You can get these episodes early. You can get the Midwest Game Nerds episodes early. We've got the House of the Devil episode coming out. we got all sorts of fun stuff coming up. So let's just get into this. Let's just get it started here. We're going to, in honor of the Olympics, we're gonna. this one's going to have some international flavor kicking off. We're going to dr- travel to Germany first. The Privilege. Das Privilege? No, I don't think that's it. Uh, A wealthy teen and his friends attending an elite private school uncover a dark conspiracy while looking into a series of strange supernatural events. This is on Netflix now. This is directed by, here we go, Felix Fucksteiner, Catherine Schodd, written by Felix Fucksteiner, Sebastian Niemann, Katharina Schodd, terrible, starring Max Schimmelfling, Lee Van Aken, and Tiad Marie. There you go. Not phlegmy enough to be proper German pronunciation. I know this. I am I am of German descent. The privilege. This is fine. A lot going on in it. And by that, I mean they cram a ton of very recognizable horror tropes into this movie. Some might call them cliches. I will call them tropes. This is another movie that throws in psychotropic mushrooms that act like a window to the other side. Very big right now. Very big these days, the old magic mushrooms. Screenwriters nowadays, uh, they trip on mushrooms once and they decide they're going to put it in every movie they write as a gateway to the other side. So this movie's got it all. Mushrooms, pharmaceutical conspiracies, body horror, monsters, exorcism. The movie really wants to be everything at once, and in doing so, it forgets to tell a clearing, concise story, unfortunately. I don't really have a ton to say here. There isn't a ton of German horror made these days, which honestly is surprising because of how important it is, especially when you take a look at the history of horror movies and the influence of Germany, especially on the the infancy of horror movies, the early years of horror movies. There are a ton of early horror movies, of course. The Universal films took a lot of their cues from German expressionism and all that. So in this movie, though, in The Privilege, there are a ton of exposition dumps. Some are more interesting than others, and I don't really have a huge problem with these types of scenes unless it bogs the movie down, and it really does here. It's almost like because there are so few German horror movies these days, the filmmakers got so excited that they decided to play, like, catch-up by jamming, like, 20 horror movies into this one movie. On the positive side of things, it looks really good. It's very eerie, very slick, and the young cast is good as well. And I'll be honest, I zoned out a few times during this movie, almost fell asleep in my chair while watching it, but they kept me engaged, mostly. The other thing, oh, Captain Kronos himself is in this one, Horst Jansen. Horst Janssen, I believe, of course, is who I'm talking about, and he has a very small part in the privilege as the grandfather in the hospital. Horst Janssen is a German actor, obviously, and he's been in all sorts of stuff throughout his career. A lot of, telegi- a te- a lot of television. Uh, fun fact about old Horst, he was the 
first, uh, he was a trailblazer back in the 1970s. He starred in an old German television show called Der Bastion, where he was the first male character in German television history with long hair. How about that? Take that to your next trivia time. I'm sure it will come up at some point uh, if you go down to an American bar here, here in the States. But he's probably most familiar to horror fans, especially Hammer horror fans, as Captain Kronos himself. Captain Kronos, the vampire hunter. Captain Kronos, and Kronos not the thing you punch in on at work, was released in the mid-70s, 1974 to be exact. And it came out around the time that the ha- the popularity of Hammer Studios was really waning. Uh, 1973, we saw the final Dracula movie from Hammer, produced by Hammer Studios, uh, starring uh Christopher Lee. It was called the Satanic Rites of Dracula. And this Lee, this Lee quote kind of sums up where things were for Hammer at the time. He said, I'm doing it under protest. I think it is fatuous. I can think of 20 adjectives, fatuous, pointless, absurd. It's not a comedy, but it's got a comic title. I don't see the point. So there you go. So the studio was looking for something to kickstart things. So enter Captain Kronos, the vampire hunter himself. Think of somebody, this is, it takes its cues from 30 serial, similar to how kind of Indiana Jones did, but also think of something like the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing that came out, oh, like 20 years ago now, maybe? I, I, I am old. Maybe a little bit of Buffy, a little bit of Blade, too. Captain Kronos was more, it was more of an adventure movie, kind of a swashbuckling hero, and his, he had a sidekick professor, and he was investigating a mystery revolving around a group of young women being drained of their blood, and I think you can guess who is draining these women of their blood. The movie is written, was written and directed by Brian Clemens, who cut his teeth on television shows like Thriller, the old UK anthology series of which he wrote all of the episodes, and of course The Avengers, the old British TV show. And he also wrote the original And Soon the Darkness in 1970, which was remade with Amber Heard and Carl Urban in 2010. Um, and I remember liking that well enough. And he would also go on to write Watcher in the Woods and Highlander 2, The Quickening. So there you go. Um, what he would not do is provide a shot in the arm that the Hammer Studios were looking for as Captain Kronos bombed and the studio would limp through the rest of the 1970s until it shut down into in 1979. It would It would kind of make a reappearance in the 2010 as a brand. Um, so there you go. A neat little cameo in this one, but the privilege is not on the honor roll, which kind of bums me out as a man of German descent. descent. So keep, keep trying, Germany, please. All right, everybody. We are going to head to Basque next. I'll talk a little bit more about Basque. and we'll, We might learn something, or if you already know about Basque, which I did not, you will learn nothing here. But this is all the moons. In the late 19th century, a little girl hurt by a bomb at the end of the Third Carlist War is saved by a woman who brings her the eternal life. Directed by Igor Legareta. Written by Igor Legareta, John Segalia. Starring Ileana, Ilana, Elena Uriz, Miriam Del Prado, and Justy Larenega. Gorgeous movie here. Slow moving, but gorgeous. Here's the thing. This is a Shutter movie. I like Shudder a lot. I like the service. It's a reasonable price at around four bucks a month. I find value in their service, but I do wish that there was a little bit more variety in their exclusive movies. Horror is a vast genre, and I wish that their exclusive kind of reflected that a little bit better. All the Moons is very much in line 
with so many of the movies on that's on the shutter service and that it's slow it's a slow burn it's international which i do not mind i love that they actually put so much international it's so cool but it's got that candlelit quality it's got that hyper realist it's naturalistic and it's horror-ish and what i mean by horror-ish is this is another movie that is more of a coming-of-age drama than it is a horror movie and that's fine but I like horror movies, and I use the service to watch horror movies, and there's some really good horror movies on there. But I like I like coming-of-age dramas as well, which is why I also watch those. But this is the, another movie that I sat watching and going, hey, like, can something scary happen, please? There's all there's an audience for this, and that's cool. It's at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm probably the idiot here. Also, a 6.5 on IMDb, which is pretty good for a Shutter exclusive, honestly. So I'm I'm more than likely in the minority on this one, and I will have to live with that. I will say this though, it is an absolutely stunning movie, and most of the time on here, when I say a movie is a good looking movie, I just mean that it doesn't look like complete garbage. Like it's it's not like a low tier sci fi channel movie or like an asylum flick. It doesn't look like it was made for $10, this movie, but like this movie has actual moments that took my breath away. So if that is your thing, there is plenty to like here. And I like to, I like to play a game on here and on the show that's called, does anything happen in this shutter exclusive movie? And I think, I think the answer is yes here. I think things do happen. Just not a ton. I mean, she does, she runs away. She meets a woman. The woman dies. She might be a vampire. She meets a cheese mer- merchant. She drinks milk really fast. She goes to church. She meets a boy in a hat. The boy in the hat falls from a tree and gets stunned by bees. Like, this isn't exactly action, action-packed stuff, but things do happen, which uh, elevates it a lo- above a lot of Shutter-exclusive movies. But this isn't a plot-heavy movie, and the main thing that it has going for it are its visuals. It's well-shot movie, but it also has the location as well, and I think that plays into a lot of why this, why I thought some of this was so breathtaking. The rolling hillsides of Basque. I'm going to be honest here. I always am. I have never heard of Basque. So I googled it. A lot of googling it will be happening on this episode, just so you know. But the Basque country is an autonomous community in the Western Pyrenees Mountains that straddles the border between France and Spain. It lies on the Atlantic coast in northern Spain. So, shout out to Max, MaxAdventure.com from here on out. Here are some interesting things about Basque. It's thought that the Basques may be the oldest ethnic group in Europe. It's believed they inhabited the southwestern corner of Europe since before Indo-European peoples came to the area some 5,000 years ago. How about that? It's said that the Basque language is very complex and very difficult to learn. In addition, there are a number of different dialects. Regional folklore has it that the devil tried to learn Basque for seven years and gave up. Folklore is much loved by the Basque, and there are many great and historic stories. It's said that in ancient times, their land was peopled by a race of giants called Gentilac. Um, Another Basque folklore includes rituals and dances. Dances. The Kacha Raka is a dance performed by fishing villages where a person representing St. Peter is carried in a coffin through the village and to the waterside. Dancers then symbi- symbolically beat him as a threat to ensure a good catch of fish. I, I, I don't know if they still do that, honestly. That's, oh, it's folklore, so they, they may have never done that. Anyway, let's talk about some uh, culinary delights of Basque as we're, as we're traveling together here. The Basque version of Bula Base fish stew includes mussels, crayfish, longer eels, the head of a codfish, and three other kinds of fish. This is called toro. They have something called 
pinkso, similar to tapas, but smaller. Pinksos are small finger foods served at tavern. That's just tapas. Uh, why don't I copy that? Uh, they like spider crabs called shinguro. Cocochas, which is garlic and parsley at heck. Ah, ghetto basque, a baked treat created with eggs, flour, sugar, and rub. Oh, that just sounds delicious. They also like their texcoli, a fruity white wine usually produced in coastal areas. So there you go. I have learned a little bit more about basque. Uh, I learned that it exists in its culture, and maybe you did too. And isn't that what watching horror movies is all about? Uh, this one is not on the honor roll. Not for me, too slow, and not enough meat. Not enough uh, meat. More of a tapas than anything else on the old bones here. Slap face. A boy deals with the... Lo- this is also on Shutter, by the way. A boy deals with the loss of his mother by creating a dangerous relationship with a monster rumored to live in the woods. Directed by Jeremiah Kipp. Written by Jeremiah Kipp. Starring August Mataro, Mike Manning, and Libby Bearer. So, Slapface doesn't refer to a character in the movie. Let's get that out of the way now. Like, it's not a character name. I watched this back-to-back with Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3, and when I logged it in my letterbox, like I like to do, it looked like I was doing some sort of simultaneous series rewatch leading up to, like, Slapface versus Leatherface, but I wasn't. In fact, that would work out very badly for the characters involved in Slap face as they are just teenage boys and they probably would not last long if they were just going to try to slap Leatherface. Or maybe they would be fine. I'll uh, I'll start my outline for the film and uh, I'll get back to you. There is a uh, there's a witch in this movie as mentioned in the IMDb plot summary but it doesn't refer to the witch either. Slapface. The Vigaro is the witch. The term Slapface refers to an abusive game that the two brothers play with each other where they, well, they, they slap each other in the face. I don't know. I do not believe the rules of the game are established in the film. I guess is that the goal is to hit the other person until they give up or submit. I'm not sure. This will, we talked about the Olympics a little bit. This will not be an Olympic sport is what I'm trying to tell you. I've been watching a lot of the Olympics lately, the the winter ones, curling in particular. I've been I've been betting on curling. And let me tell you something. Curling is a terrible sport to bet on. So, this is a cautionary tale. Here's the thing with money lines and spreads and all that. I think I'm betting on Curling wrong. I'm betting on spreads, and I do not think that's the way to go about betting on Curling. So with spreads, they, they have a number. So say it's Norway versus Switzerland, for example. They give you a number. They say Norway minus two and a half stones or points. What this means is that Norway is favored by two and a half points. So you can either bet on them to cover and win by three points or bet on Switzerland to cover cover and either lose by less than two points or win. In football, the spread is pretty simple. Either the team is going to win by the allotted spread or not. Here's the thing with curling, though. It's similar to baseball in that one team gets the last shot or the last at bat. In curling, it's called the hammer. So a lot of times what will happen in a tight game is that the team with the hammer in the last end or inning or round or whatever it's called will sacrifice that end, inning, round, whatever you want to call it, and just take the one-point win with the hammer in the final end and win by one point. They don't care about a two-point spread. In football, if the team gets a chance on offense, they will build their lead as much as possible. Not in curling, though. Curlers are happy to just strategically play it safe and screw me out of $20 just so they can take their victory. I'm talking about Norway. It's infuriating. Uh, I don't bet a lot, and I don't bet a ton of money. But listen, I don't get out much anymore, especially this time of year. So cool it on the judgment, okay? Uh, Anyway, I will tell you. 
Um, I will tell my wife when I've got money on a game or something, but the other night when I bet on the Norway and Swiss curling match, I did not tell her. It seemed like a bridge too far, honestly. I don't want her to think I'm some sort of degenerate here. But she decided to read a book, and I decided to watch the curling match. She must have thought it was very odd that I was, like, standing and pacing around the living room during Norway and Switzerland curling battle, just screaming uh, as the end played out. Anyway, I'm not going to... I'm trying to think of how to bet on slap face, basically is what I'm trying to say. Probably on the... um, probably on the amount of slaps it would take for one of the characters to submit. So the line would probably be like negative three for the older brother. And if the younger brother made it past three slaps, you would win. So you could do like an over under on the amount of slaps it takes for the match to end. So if the number is like set at 11 and a half, you could like bet on the under in the match ending at like 10 slaps or the over. Um, I'm being pretty irreverent here and I get that, but this is like partly because this is a, very morose movie and it I guess it should be the tone fits the subject matter the game of slap face isn't funny at all in the movie and in fact it's born out of a personal tragedy for the boys who lost both of their parents in a car crash that they were also involved in it's rough stuff and the movie while it has touches of supernatural stuff it's more of a small character study of two kids forced to grow up beyond their ears at a at a early age um, the older brother especially is thrust into a responsibility that he isn't ready for. And the movie highlights kind of the cyclical nature of violence uh, stemming from tragedy. This was originally a short film, Slapface was, which was also written and directed by Kip, but I couldn't find it anywhere online. I really wanted to do like a comparison point as to what it expands on specifically. I will say that unlike a lot of short films turned into feature-length movies, I didn't feel like it was overly padded. From what I could tell, it takes the extra runtime to focus more on character work and highlighting the rural setting and ancillary characters as well. Slapface is it's good, solid, independent horror that I think tells its story well and how it intends to tell it. It also, especially for its budget, features some pretty decent performances. It's got a stellar score. It's got some strong cinematography, some good makeup effects. I didn't put it on my honor roll, though. This is one of those movies that I recognize as pretty good, pretty solid, but, like, it just kind of bummed me out. It was an enjoyable watch. And listen, not every movie has to be. I get that, but this is my show. So, there. It was a real bummer, and not in a good way. Next up is Hellblazer, set in the late 1980s, a satanic cult. This is set in the 1980s. <laughs> I didn't get that. Satanic cult has a singular focus of unleashing hell on Earth. With the help of an ancient incantation, they conjure a demon, and its members are tasked with feeding it the populace of a nearby small southwestern town. Rinda directed by Justin Lee, starring Mike Ferguson, Adrian Barbeau, and Greg Beaton. Let's do this. It's Tubi time with Tim. I'm going to give you five recommendations. This is a Tubi original movie. Tubi is making original movies. I'm going to give you five recommendations that I I scrolled through on Tubi as well. Because I've got some good stuff. I've I've compared it to the two-for-one section at the video store. I went off the beaten path a little bit here if you're not familiar with some of these movies. So, these aren't like deep cuts. But, I mean, some of them are smaller, a little bit older. So, Let's start with Shrooms. Shrooms is on there. Shrooms is kind of a, a like a fun... Speaking of tripping on mushrooms, like uh, the earlier movie I talked about, the name is uh, The Privilege. This is, a, this is basically a bunch of people, a horror movie where a bunch of people trip balls in the woods. And it's this was a lot of fun. I think it's a magnet release. It used to... I think it premiered on HDNet way back in the day. But it's fun. It's up on new, Tubi now. It's Shrooms. Next up is The Void. The Void is kind of a trippy 80s horror homage. 
um, directed by the guy. Oh my gosh, his name is escaping me right now. But check out The Void if you're into kind of yeah, kind of a trippy '80s horror horror movie, horror flick. Oh my god, I can't. We got we got to stop here. Oops, I knocked over my microphone. I got so I got so ex- excited there. We got to stop. I the name of the director of The Void is it's bothering me right now. No, not Enter the Void. I'm not. I'm not recommending that. I don't think that's on Tubi. Well, that was a good movie too. But uh, Stephen Kostansky, Jeremy Gillespie, and Stephen Kostansky are who uh, directed this. Kostansky did Psycho Gorman. I'm an idiot. Um, I'm really mad about this. So there you go. Check out the Void, Hell House LLC. If you are like me, you kind of miss the. Uh, there's a part of you that may be longing for the heyday of found footage movies. Hell, hell, how, how, hell House LLC is the start of a really fun haunted house found footage horror movie. And that's up on, I think all three of them are up on Tubi now. If not, the first one is definitely worth a watch. Petey Wheatstraw. Petey Wheatstraw stars Rudy Ray Moore. I'm going to read, I'm going to sell you on this just by reading the IMDB. This is an old um, 1977, but I'm just going to sell you on this. Rudy Ray Moore, of course, is Dolomite. After I'm going to read the IMDB description for you. After being murdered by his rivals, Petey Wheatstraw is resurrected in exchange for marrying the devil's daughter, the world's ugliest woman. <laughs> so there you go. I think this was featured a little bit in My Name is Dolomite. I can't remember, or at least talked about uh, the Eddie Murphy movie. And finally, Absentia. Absentia is one of Mike Flanagan's first movies. It's a really solid, low-budget thriller. But if you are someone who's recently got in, gotten into Mike Flanagan's recent work, Absentia is up for free on Tubi now, and it gives you a nice kind of look at kind of the template for what he would use moving forward. And it's good. It's a very good flick. Now, here are five movies that I want you to watch for me and report back to me. And this was based on title alone. So the first, there are a ton of clown movies on Tubi. I was going to say Peacock for some reason. There are, maybe there are on Peacock as well, but there are like, there are like, there are like 10 clown related movies on there. People are scared of clowns. But the first one, the one that I want everybody to watch and report back to me on is Clown Motel Vacancies Daddy. I think this is a series series of movies, and this is the daddy one. So get back to me on what this means. Next up is Halloween at at Aunt Ethel's. I know nothing about this. Next up is Conjuring. This looks like one of those Conjuring ripoffs, but this is Conjuring colon the genie. So they conjure a genie, I guess. Next is Vampires. Oh, Vampires Brighter in Darkness. And this looked like one of, like a trashy like vampire romance novel on the cover, if I recall correctly. And finally is The 13th Friday. I'm guessing this is a Friday the 13th ripoff, but I don't know. You let me know. Thanks. Anyway, back to Hellblazers. This is a 2B original movie. They do this now, I guess. I think I knew this. I may have even watched one before, but I don't remember it. I think it was a, there was a shark movie that was a 2B original I watched. Anyway, this is Hellblazers, and it's not that bad. Or at least compared to my expectations, which, to be quite honest, were not super high. I'm sorry, I've, I've likened the 2B section to the old two-for-one dollar section at the video store, which was really the Wild West of the video store, because you could get anything there, and that's the charm of 2B, and it's free, and you have to take economics into account in 2022. And so I'm judging this on a curve, 
a free curve but uh i didn't hate this it's kind of fun it has a cast that seems to have filmed this while on break from a convention like a horror hound um it's a horror hound cast barbeau probably gets the most to do here and she's pretty game tony todd is in it she plays a uh but barbeau plays a dj which is kind of a fun little reference to the fog i do wish this movie was a little sillier not like knowingly in on the joke silly but maybe a little bit more humor bruce dern is in this, of course, and he's the main source of humor in this. Oh, Billy Zane also in this, but Bruce Dern, a uh, slight spoiler here, he leaves the picture at one point, and from that uh, point on, the movie gets really kind of straight-faced. I was hoping for something a little bit more like, I don't know, like Tremors or Wolf Cop. Wolf Cop probably is the better uh, comparison point. I guess I'm always looking for something a little bit more like Wolf Cop. Anyway, this isn't on the honor roll, but it is free, and I've paid for worse. And it also goes out of its way to slam Purdue basketball multiple times. So kudos to the filmmakers on that. But another one not on the honor roll. But you could do worse with your time, and you could probably do so on Tubi. All right, let us now wrap this bad boy up with Ghosts of the Ozarks. Ghosts of the Ozarks. This has got a... Let's... uh, got nowhere to be right let's let's get the old imdb plot up because i forgot to do it before i uh started recording this part of the uh listen we're uh i also forgot to tell everybody what the uh what the honor roll is at the beginning i'm not really out of it here but it's basically i look at five movies and uh no i'm just stalling while i i slowly type one at a time <laughs> here we go go see ozarks yes it is an hour and 47 minutes long boy does it feel it? Oh my gosh, get that advertisement out of here. In post-Civil War Arkansas, a young doctor is mysteriously summoned to a remote town in the Ozarks, only to discover that the utopian paradise is filled with secrets and surrounded by a menacing supernatural presence. Matt Glass and Jordan Wayne Long are the directors, not related. Written by Sean Anthony Davis and Jordan Wayne Long and Tara Perry. Starring Thomas Hobson, Phil Morris, Tara Perry, but also... David Arquette, Angela Bettis, and Tim Blake Nelson is also in it. And Joseph Rudd, who is a professional wrestler. Eric Rowan, uh, I believe is his name. He was uh, he was in WWE for a while. He was part of the Wyatts. For a while, he showed up in AEW for a minute um, on the Brody Lee tribute episodes. But he also has a small bit part in this. A couple of This goes to the Ozarks. A couple of weeks ago, I walked through the plot of See For Me, beat by beat, to highlight the importance of pacing and structure, especially when it comes to smaller horror or thriller films. This Ghost of the Ozarks is an example of that as well, but on the opposite side, and how poor pacing and structure can affect a movie negatively. I don't think this is a bad movie. I just think it's pretty shaggy. Uh, during that See For Me review, I talked about something called the 17-minute rule, or the 17-page rule, which is a rule that says the inciting incident should happen around 17 minutes or pages into a movie or script. This is not a hard or fast rule. It is pretty flexible, but is meant to keep you from putzing around too much in the first act, which is one of the main issues with Ghosts of the Ozarks. It takes way too long getting to the point, and it's stuck in the first act for way, way, way too long. And it's too bad, honestly, because I liked a lot of the movie. The effort is there. The cast is game. There is a long sequence of Tim Blake Nelson and Angela Bettis performing a musical number, which is a positive for any, any movie. Angela Bettis, of course, has uh, played May, the old movie May. But by the end of its hour and 40, hour and 45 minute runtime, hour and 47 minutes, I, uh, I was reaching for my phone, as I always try to do, try not to do. <laughs> 
fail miserably. But I also try not to be too hard on low-budget horror movies. I do think, though, that the seams do show a little bit here. So if you're a stickler for that, beware. I think especially when it comes to period piece horror, or period pieces in general, they work best when you are immersed in its setting. And I was taking out of this one a couple of times just due to the lack of budget, I think. It feels... The costumes especially feel like the actors are playing dress-up more than they... um, Like it's being lived in sometimes. They filmed a lot of this in small-town Arkansas. Big flat, Arkansas. So much love for the big flats. Wait a minute. There's a... uh, Yeah, so let's let's, let's do this real quick. There's a uh, beer called Big Flats that I think was mostly sold in Walgreens, and it's like... Two ninety nine, I think it was, for a six-pack. So you know it's good. Uh, but it's not the same Big Flats. I looked it up. And uh, Big Flats beer is brewed in upstate New York, so not small-town Arkansas. The beer, like, it had a moment, like, ten years ago when it was introduced. Mostly ironic or, like, a dare, like, hey, I, I bet you can't drink all six of these Big Flats. Well, guess what? You are absolutely wrong. I'll be honest. If I was drinking a Big Flats ten years ago, I was probably drinking it to, like, get drunk um, so I don't remember the taste of it. It probably didn't taste great, but it was probably like a Keystone or a Natty, uh, a Natty Light, not a Natty Ice. Uh, natty Ice has plenty of flavor. So it was probably just like, you get what you pay for sometimes. And if you're paying for $3 for six packs of big flats, you're just doing it so you can, uh, kill a six pack, honestly. But, uh, the town of big flats features a lot of historical places that have been left intact. So they were able to kind of keep a sense of historical, historical accuracy in the look of it. But I also think it looks too clean. That's kind of the weird and tough thing about low budget period pieces in 2022 with all the technology we have. A lot of it makes it look like a movie looks so good that it's hard to hide that contrast. Um, this is not a final movie here, not on the honor roll, uh, I've sounded a little bit more negative than I actually was or am because, as I mentioned, this is a fun cast and the ghost story actually worked pretty well for me. But especially when it comes to the central mystery and the reveal, uh, the pacing to God, it really hampers it. This is not the best. Wait for uh, no, just I don't like doing that. So not my favorite. All right. The end. That's the end of the honor roll. We're in February still. And we will be for another episode, probably. So hopefully it gets a little bit better movie for me because uh, we're over on this one. Patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet. I'm going to get out of here because there was nothing. There's nothing else to wrap up. I will see you next time. Thank you, seriously, everybody, for listening.